Ladies and gentlemen, hello again and welcome. Uh, this is graduation service part two, or at least the sermon of it. For whatever reason, Facebook decided to eat half of the sermon, half of the message, and a few uh, fine folks have expressed a, um, a delight or expressed essentially just wanting to hear it one more time or wanting to hear it in its, in its fullness. So here we are uh, recording it. It is Monday night, um, almost 5 p.m. So been 24 hours since we've um, had our graduation service, and it was um, it was a blessing. And uh, the first thing I want to say is just thank you to everybody who came out for that. Thank you to the family and the graduates. Um, it was it was it was just really special and sentimental seeing you guys and being able to celebrate you all because I mean surely you've you've had such an accomplishment over the last 18 to 24 years of your life. Whether you graduated high school or college, we've had several from both. Um, so congratulations to you and your families and all the hard work. I uh, also want to say thank you to Pastor Jesse for just giving me an opportunity to preach. Um, if, if you're new here and, and you see this is Red Cross and I'm, I'm up here speaking, um, I'm, I'm not usually the guy that, that gives the message, and that is a good thing. We have a phenomenal pastor here at Red Cross Baptist Church by the name of Jesse Herring. Um, he's a man of God, and he's just allowed uh, several men in the church to uh, be discipled by him and learn and grow from him, and he's given us resources and, and taught us uh, he's teaching us currently how to teach, how to preach, and I'm very thankful for that. So again, thank you guys for that. And uh, I want to go ahead and pray. I want to pray over, over this message, pray that it would, um, for, for your hearts and mine. And uh, so just join with me, if you will, right now. Uh, Lord, Heavenly Father, God, we, uh, we thank you for technology, God. We thank you for um, just the ability to be here, Lord. We, but most importantly, God, we thank you for you. We thank you for who you are. Father, what you have done, what you're doing, what you will do. God, we, uh, we confess, Lord, openly that we are all sinners, God. You said that for all have sinned and fall short of your glory. And Lord, I am, I am such a man. I'm like Paul, chief of sinners, God. I'm so thankful, though, for the cross, for your son, Jesus Christ, Lord. So thankful that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and you are just and to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, God. Lord, um, we just uh, request the grace, Lord, right now needed to shine your light. I request the grace needed to proclaim this message clearly and truly and boldly. I pray, God, that we would worship you through this in spirit and truth, God, um, that we would exalt in, in, in who you are as we look into your word, God. It would reflect your character and your goodness, Lord, and many, many other of your other attributes, God. Um, Lord, I just ask that uh, you would add a blessing to your word, Father, that you would prepare the hearts and the minds to receive it, Lord. And we're so thankful that your promise in your word says that it won't return void. It's going to accomplish what you set out for it to do. So, Father, right now we just pray for your will to be done. We pray for your hands to be upon this time. We ask that it would glorify you. And we ask this in your son's precious name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So let's get to it, right? Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and head to Psalm 127. And uh, just a little piece of information, that's actually the, the chapter that we founded the youth group on here at Red Cross um, since I've been the youth pastor here. And as we unpack this, you're going to be able to see several reasons why that's true. Um, so the, the title of the message that I've, that I've given it is, Build with the Lord or Labor in Vain. And as a matter of fact, there's four core truths that I'm hoping that you all would take from this message. And the first is just like that, just the title itself. Uh, the command to build with God, build with the Lord, or risk laboring in vain. That's the first. 
The second is we should rest in our Redeemer's work. The third is that there is a war going on. Right now, there's a war going on. This is the same war that's been happening for ages. And it's a war over words between what the world has to say and what the Word has to say. And it's a battle over blessings and burdens. Point number four is just that. Arrows, because Psalm 127 calls children arrows. Arrows have a point. Uh, And I mean that with every pun intended. There is a purpose to it all. There's a purpose to our children. So we're going to go into all of that. So again, Psalm 127. Go ahead and head that way and we're going to get started. Um, How I kind of want to set our minds for this is just sharing something with you. I I came across the other day on social media. Um, As so many of us often do, we spend probably too much time on there if we're being transparent. And I saw something that day, though. It struck me down to my very soul. It was just a simple picture of a graduate. But that graduate was in their cap and in their gown, and they were standing in front of a street in their hometown. And in the background, I could see police dressed up in riot gear. Perhaps you've seen it going across Facebook. The police officers were approaching and confronting radical protesters, and it hit me like a weight, just like a load of bricks. How terrifying this must be for them. I tried to imagine just what it would feel like to try to make your big leap out into the world when you leave the nest, so to speak, and spread your wings. But you're doing so in the midst of such a strong and terrifying storm, and it seems to be brewing all around you. I tried to remember my own graduation experience back in 2008 when I tried to start life in the midst of an economic recession. I don't know if you can remember back then, but the economy wasn't doing so well. And I remember feeling like I was facing just so much uncertainty, so much animosity. But I can't imagine how terrified I would be now if I was standing in their shoes today, being the same young man that I was then. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. There's a lot going on in the world around us right now. Graduates are going to be facing many mighty foes such as escalating military tensions, corrupt politicians, twisted media outlets, racial tensions, violent protests, which often lead to people looting, people stealing, destroying personal property, and even killing others. Graduates, you're going to be starting out your adult life in the midst of an economy on the brink of a collapse. And to top it all off, there's a pandemic which has currently infected over 7 million people across the globe and counting. That's a lot for any young person to handle, let alone in it. I'm sorry, that's a lot for an adult to handle, let alone a young man or woman trying to set out for the first time. But now that I have reminded you of all the uncertainty going on in the world around you, the wind and the waves of that storm, so to speak, I also want to remind you in the midst of those dark storm clouds, in the midst of such thick darkness, there has never been a better time to shine forth the life-giving light of the gospel of God's Word. Amen. I also want to remind you and encourage you in the words of 1 John 4, 4, where God has said through the word, little children, you are from God, you are from me, and because that is true, If you are a child of God, you have already overcome them. 
For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Surely you can take comfort in that. I would like for us to spend the rest of our time and attention focusing in on God's words and what he has to say. And I pray that everyone who would hear this message would take hold of his unmovable, unshakable, unbreakable promises. The promises where where he has said, yes, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. I have already overcome all of that, and I did so on your behalf. That's the good news. That's the gospel. The good news where God has said, I have already won life's greatest battles. I have already shined forth my life-giving light. And that light unifies the broken through love. Through my love, the perfect bond of unity, which will protect you, which will provide for you. My love that compels me never to leave you nor forsake you. So what if the economy crumbles? Christ says, let me be your treasure. Let me be your hope for a future. Graduates, as you set out to start your new career, Christ says, come, my child, and rest in my finished work. You know, I'm reminded uh, by the words of J.D. Greer where he says, being brave has nothing to do with, with, with what's going on in the world around you. Being brave has everything to do with understanding who is with you. If you understand who holds tomorrow, surely you can face whatever tomorrow holds. So I plead with the church today, right now, if you're hearing this message, remember your Redeemer. That sounds so simple, but it's so easy to forget with whatever we're going, whatever we're going through. Remember your Redeemer. Because our Redeemer, His words are strong enough to still even the strongest of winds and waves. They obey Him. Amen. So, open with me, if you will, in your Bible to Psalm 127, where we're going to cover the chapter this morning, or I would say this morning, but it's actually this afternoon now. So, here we are, Psalm 127. This, This is the word of the Lord. Starting in verse 1, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives sleep to his beloved. Behold this truth. Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them, for he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Amen. Father, we ask that you'd add a blessing to your word. Amen. So perhaps you're asking yourself right now, what in the world does building a house, watching over a city, and sleeping have to do with arrows, warriors, and children? And my answer, and I believe it's the answer the Bible gives, is everything. Let's take a little bit of time to unpack that, right? Remember the four core truths that we were talking about earlier? I pray that you would take those from today's message. The first truth is that it's more of a warning, really. We should build with the Lord or risk laboring in vain. Look back to verse 1 in your Bible. Do you see where it says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain? 
Unless the Lord is watching over this city, the watchmen will stay awake in vain. Church, I believe that the Word of God teaches believers that no matter what we undertake in life, whether we're building a house, establishing a career, forming a relationship, starting a family, or protecting a nation, if our efforts are not done in and through the power of Jesus Christ that He supplies, they will amount to nothing. Consider John 15, verse 5, where Christ has said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you are connected in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you will do nothing. You can do nothing. May we never forget this. In life, the difference between futility and fruitfulness is in being connected to Jesus Christ, the true vine. Then we will flourish and bear much fruit. Brothers and sisters, I plead with you, I, I pray that we would never forget the wise words of Christ where He has warned us that all of our works, all of our plans, all of our efforts, no matter how hard we try, if they're not laid upon His firm foundation, the solid rock to which we can stand, they will only crumble and consume us along with it. All of our efforts, from raising our children to building our homes or starting out our careers or planning our future and protecting this nation, apart from Christ, might as well be a dry sandcastle on the edge of a low tide. I plead with you right now, I plead with you, don't waste your life. Don't look back and count it all as rubbish. Don't waste your life by buying into the American dream. This land is not your home. So what if you accumulate hundreds and thousands of dollars in a nice house and a nice car and nice things? When you die, you take none of it with you. You came into this world naked. You will leave the same way you came, naked. We're sojourners just passing through in tents, but Christ has gone to prepare for us a room in His Father's house. He said that it is true, it is so. So don't get me wrong. While we're here, we are called by God. We are called to work. We are called to make plans. So yes, by all means, work. Make plans. But we should never forget, as we often do, that it is God who is to work in us, both to will and to work for His good pleasure, not our own. That was Philippians 2, 13. Or let's, let's also consider Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3, where we are told to commit our work to the Lord, for then and then alone our plans will be established. You are to seek first the kingdom of God, for then everything else will be added unto you. So I ask you today, have you done this? Take a sobering look in the mirror as I have, and ask yourself, have you lost your life so that you might find it? Have you stopped to bend your knee and pick down your cross in order to carry, the, carry, to carry it and follow the one who has already carried his? If not, I'd like to, to call this to your attention. If not, it's not too late. 
If there's breath in your lungs right now, it is not too late. Use that breath God has given you and cry out in a prayer of repentance to follow Christ. I promise you, He is worth it. He is worthy of it all. Jim Elliott, the missionary who gave his life, once said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he can never lose. He would gladly lay his life down for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the eternal promises found in God's word. I promise you it's the best exchange you'll ever make. Perhaps you're asking yourself, well, what does that look like? How do I live this out? I'm reminded of an answer given by St. Augustine, who said we should pray like it all depends on God, but we should work like it all depends on us. Remember, church, that James taught us that our faith, apart from our works, lies dead. It's hard to go wrong with that approach, so long as we keep in mind truth number two, which is rest in your Redeemer's work. As we're laboring with the Lord, rest in the fact that He is with us. He is laboring alongside of us, right? We should rest in our Redeemer's work. There's peace to be found in His protection and His provision. I believe this is seen in verse number 2 where He says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for God gives to His beloved sleep. In the midst of our work, God gives us rest. To His beloved, they find rest. In other words, at the end of the day, when we're tired, when we're spent from the hard work and all the toil, may we find rest. When, when We can find rest when our head hits the pillow. And, and it doesn't even matter what all is going on around you. For a believer's hope is ultimately found in and through Jesus Christ and in Him alone. I pray that His last words would ring in our hearts and in our ears. When he uttered on the cross, it is finished. Hebrews 4, 3 reminds us that for a believer, if you believe that, if you put your faith and trust in that, you will enter into that rest. We should, as a wise farmer would, consider the words of Paul, the teachings of Paul where he said, yes, we are called to water. Yes, we are called to plant. But ultimately, we are called to be at peace because we depend on God to give the growth we so desperately need. That is why he who plants or he who waters isn't anything, but only God who gives the growth. It is all done for the glory of God alone. So church, graduates, as you set out to embark on your futures, as you set out to, as I hope and pray, labor with the Lord, and you start your career, don't let this world weigh you down. Come to Christ when you are weary and heavy laden, and He will give you the rest that your soul so desperately longs for. Remember, don't eat the bread of anxious toil. There's a better, there's a better option. Trust in the daily provision of your heavenly Father. Feast on Christ the true manna from heaven, the very bread of life. For if you do, then and then alone you will be eternally satisfied. You will hunger no more. Speaking of the world weighing you down, I want to be honest for a second. 
Has anyone else like me just felt a little heavy lately from this season we've been in? It's so easy to sink down like Peter as soon as we take our eyes off of Christ and place them upon the wind and the waves. So right now, Father, I just pray that you would empower us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author, the founder, the perfecter of our faith as we run this race with endurance. Help us, Father. I pray to God that that you would strengthen our hearts, that you would strengthen our minds as we can continue to consider these truths. Amen. The third truth I want us to take a look at, this this is honestly very sobering, guys. Truth number three is that there is a war going on right now. It's a war over words. This has been an ancient battle since the beginning of time, really, since the serpent in the garden over blessings and burdens between the, what the world has to say and what the word has already said. Look back in your Bibles to verse three in chapter 127, which states, behold, behold, consider this truth. Look at this truth. Children are a heritage. I had to look up what that word meant. To be a heritage basically just means it's an inheritance. Well, who? Who's giving us this inheritance? Usually we only get an inheritance when someone passes away. Typically a parent, right? A grandparent or a, a, a mother or a father. This heritage, this inheritance is from the Lord. And it was only made possible when his son, Jesus Christ, died. It says that children are a fruit of the womb and a reward. It's an inheritance. It's a reward. It's a blessing, right? So ask yourself, if the creator of the cosmos has so clearly stated and proclaimed that children are a blessing, if he calls us to remember that children are a reward, if they're a fruitful part of our inheritance from God, then tell me, do you think our society believes this? Do you think that that's the message social media tries to portray? Do you believe that the culture of this world would reflect that? If they did, do you think abortion clinics would still be open? Do you think that orphanages would still be full? If they did, would there still be blood being spilt on our nation's streets? No. Hopefully you're saying to yourself, no. The world, the flesh, and even Satan himself try to get us to to feed on a lie. They strive to tell us that the blessings of God are really burdens. They They try their best to get us to believe that our God is not really a good God and that he doesn't have our best interest at heart. This ancient crafty serpent that we saw in the beginning of the garden of when Adam and Eve fall, when they fell and they, they, when they feasted on the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, he is still at work today and he is deceiving millions. So I plead with you right now, don't believe the lie. It's a lie. Don't believe the lie. Don't drink the venom that trickles down the serpent's tongue. It's like antifreeze. It might taste sweet for a moment, but it's deadly as soon as you swallow. So spit it out. Cut through the darkness with the light of the word of God. May the church proudly proclaim that children are a blessing and not a burden. By the way, if this is true, God loves our church. 
God loves Red Cross Baptist Church and the church in general because we're going through a baby boom right now. Amen. I can think of several families who have either just given birth or are currently pregnant and expecting. It's a blessing. May God fill our quiver. Let's continue. Point number four, final point number four. (laughs) These arrows have a point. There is a purpose for them. Let's read it, verse four and five together. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. That's significance because at the gate of a city were typically when matters were, were finalized, when it was almost like a court, so to speak, the elders would come together. So let's look at this, shall we? Let's unpack this truth. These arrows, these children of our youth are created to be placed in a warrior's hands. They were crafted with the battle in mind. So right now, let me ask leaders, teachers, grandparents, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters, parents and future parents, ask yourself, will your children be prepared for the day of battle? I want to say something right now very lovingly and truthfully and as thoughtfully as I can, but I have to admit it's not going to be popular. It goes against the culture of this nation. Swim team, t-ball, and glee club are not enough. Your child making A, B honor roll is not enough. Teaching them just to say no to sex, drugs, and cuss words is not enough. Sending them to church once a week so they can get their dose of Jesus is not enough. Our best efforts, my best efforts with my two children are not enough. So I hope you're asking yourself right now, well then what is? If you really and truly want your arrows to not only fly but soar and hit their intended targets, then we as a church ought to get down on our face daily before God and beg and plead with Him to have mercy on our children. We are to place these arrows in the nailed, scarred carpenter's hands because we believe that He is more than enough. Our God is able. Amen. Plead with Him daily that He would give us the grace needed to bring them up in the way that they should go. For when they were older, they will not depart from it. May we consider the command given to parents by God in Deuteronomy chapter 6. God has already laid this out. What should this look like for parents? How should they bring up their children? It's right here. Hear this, church. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. We shall love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with all of our mind, with all of our might. In these words that I command you, they shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk 
by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, when you sit, when you walk, when you lie, when you rise, basically all the time. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be on the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This is how God has called us to prepare the children that he has given us. Brothers and sisters, may we ask ourselves soberly, are we missing the mark? Ask ourselves, where are we aiming these arrows? God has entrusted us with. God has commanded us to prepare them for battle, to dress them for war. So let me tell you, arrows don't just come out of the ground ready to fly. They must be crafted. It's a process that requires sacrifice. They must be strengthened. They must be straightened. They must be sharpened on a daily basis before they are to take flight. And once they leave that bow, once they leave your house, that quiver, it's so hard to correct it mid-flight. But I don't want you to feel overwhelmed. I don't want you to feel just guilty or ashamed if you've missed the mark. There's grace, there's hope. Christ can redeem all of that. God says that the only tool we need to get this job done is right here. The very word of God. And we know that because he has said that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be complete, lacking nothing, equipped for every good work. This is the only tool you need. But the sad thing about it is how often do we leave this just hanging up on a shelf? sitting on our nightstand collecting dust. How often do we take the tool and apply it and sharpen our children? Graduates, you are not just headed out to the workforce. You're not just headed out for more schooling if you're going to college. I want to remind you, please don't forget this. You're headed to the front lines as a missionary. You will await a war over words as we have just discussed. And this war has already began. It's a battle over your head and over your heart. But the best news of all is that for those who are in Christ Jesus, this war has already been won. You don't have to fight for a victory. We get to fight from a victory. Praise God. Allow me to share with you quickly just a true story a short true story similarly to what this is going to look like for you. The story comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 32. I'm going to be reading a big chunk of it. If you want to go and read it in your own free time, I really encourage you to do so. It's a great story. It starts out like this. A few thousand years ago, a wicked king came to invade the cities of the people of God. This wicked king encamped his armies all around their fortified walls, thinking to win them for himself. And when the godly king saw that the wicked king had come up against him and intended to fight, he planned with his officers, with his mighty men, to work diligently and to build up the walls that were broken down so they strengthened their city. 
He also made weapons and shields in abundance, and he set out combat commanders over the people, and he gathered them together to him in the square at the gate of the city, and he spoke encouragingly to them. And I really want you to catch this. Please focus in right here. This is what the Word of God has to say about this battle. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed before this wicked king and before all the horde that is with him. For there are more with us than are with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. The people took confidence from the words of their godly king. And I pray we would do the same right now today. I pray we would take confidence in the words of our, not godly king, our king who is God. Now after this, the wicked king, the story continues, who was besieging that city with his, all of his forces, he sent out his servants to the city, to all the people who were in it, saying, and this is what the world has to say, this is what you're going to hear out there. On what are you trusting? That you're, that you're going to endure this? That you're going to make it through this? Your king is misleading you. That he may give you over to die by famine and thirst. Your God's not going to protect you. He's not going to provide for you. When he, tell you, when he tells you that the Lord your God will deliver you from the hands of our king, do you not know that I and my fathers have done? Do you not, have you not heard about what we have done to all the peoples of other lands? Were the gods of these nations, these other lands, at all able to deliver them out from our hands? Who among all the gods of those nations that our fathers devoted to destruction was able to deliver his people from our hand that your God should be able to deliver you from our hands? Now, therefore, do not let your king deceive you. Don't let him mislead you in this fashion. Don't believe him. For no God of any nation or any kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand and from the hands of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you out of my hand? Sounds convincing, doesn't it? The wicked king's servants still said more against the Lord God and against the godly king. They wrote letters to cast contempt on the Lord, the God of Israel, and to speak against him, saying, Like the gods of the nations of the lands who have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Israel will not deliver his people from my hand. And they shouted it with a loud voice to the people who were besieged in the city, who were behind the wall in order to frighten them, in order to terrify them, in order that they might take the city. They spoke of the Lord God Almighty as they spoke of the gods of people on earth who are nothing but the work of men's hands. Now I want to pause right here. And I want you to reflect upon what this godly king's response is. 
Look at how he responds to his people. He's told them to be encouraged. The wicked king has said, don't be encouraged. Don't believe it. He's a liar. I'm telling the truth. So what does this king do to vindicate himself before his people? But then the godly king got a prophet. They came together and they prayed. They prayed because of this and they cried out to heaven. And look at the response from this prayer. The response from this humility. The Lord God sent an angel. And that angel cut off the mighty warriors and the commanders and the officers in the camp of the wicked king. So that he returned to his own home, his own country with shame upon his face. And to make his matters worse, when he went into the house of his God, his own sons struck him down with a sword. The Lord saved the godly king and the inhabitants of his city from the hand of the wicked king and from the hand of all his enemies. And I love this, point, this, this verse right here, this portion, how it ends. God delivered him from the hands of all his men and enemies and God provided for them on every side. God provided for them on every side. Brothers and sisters, I plead with you, don't become another casualty in the war over words. Our righteous, one true king has spoken. If we cry out to him through prayer in our time of need, he will provide for us on every side. Amen. You know, we're about to live this out in the next few minutes. We're going to pray over all the graduates and their families. We've already given them a sword and a shield. We've given them a devotional, and we've given them study Bibles to equip them for the day of battle. But first, I want to read a poem by C.T. Studd. And this poem is powerful. This poem inspired Pastor John Piper to write the well-known book, Don't Waste Your Life. Listen diligently to these words. And if you do this, if you live a life like this, I promise you will not be put to shame when you face your enemies in the gate. You will not labor in vain. Here's the poem. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, and soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to keep and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a brief few years, each with its burdens, its hopes and fears. Each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or in His will. Only one life, twill soon be passed. 
Only what's done for Christ will last. Then in this world would tempt me sore when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way. Then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep in joy or sorrow thy word to keep, faithful and true, wherever thy strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with forever burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bidding, thy pre- bidding thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say thy will be done. And when at last I hear thy call, I know I'll say twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life was burned out for thee. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son who was the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. We thank you for the life that he has lived, the death that he has died, and the resurrection that he has provided through it. Father, we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word, God, that it would set forth, Lord, and accomplish all that you you so will and desire. Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would empower the church, Father, to walk in your will and your ways, to please you and glorify you, to live this life you have given us in a way that we don't labor in vain. Father, we pray that we would rest in your truth. We We pray that we would rest in your work, God. Lord, we pray that we would bring up these children in a way that they should go, so when they're older, they won't depart from it, God. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ. Please guard our minds as we undertake this war, this battle over blessings and burdens, this war over words. Help us to remember the truth that you have spoken in your word. Thank you for it, God. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. For it is in whose name that we, it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, church.